Hey, if you're invested in the Las Vegas mayoral race, and really, we should all be, you're going to want to check out the Nevada Independent Mayoral Forum on Wednesday, May 15th at the Fountain Blue. The Indy CEO, John Ralston, will be moderating a live panel with the three frontrunners. You know, it could get spicy, so don't miss it. Tickets are available at thenevadaindependent.com slash events. And as a bonus for CityCast Las Vegas members, we've got two pairs of tickets we're giving away tonight. So make sure to join at membership.citycast.fm if you haven't already. We're a city that sells sex, but when it comes to our sex shops, we're pretty basic. Why? Today on CityCast Las Vegas, we chat with Lynn Camella, UNLV professor and author, to talk about sex shops in Vegas and what a great sex shop can do for a city like ours. It's Wednesday, July 5th. I'm Vogue Robinson, and here's what Las Vegas is talking about. Lynn Camella, thank you so much for being on CityCast Las Vegas. Good morning. Good morning. Hi, Vogue. Thanks for having me. So how would you describe like a standard Las Vegas sex shop? There's a range, right? Um, Mm. But I also think that Las Vegas doesn't necessarily have the the range of sex shops that you might find in some other cities of comparable Mm. sizes, right? I mean, we aren't really known for our feminist sex shops or Mm. our kind of LGBT sex shops. We have standard sex shops that have kind of morphed over the years to become businesses that do a little bit more to cater to women, to cater to a more kind of inclusive customer base, but they still follow a pretty standard formula in terms of what they offer. Yeah, because I know you just went on a field trip to kind of check out a few (laughs) of the sex shops. So tell us, report from the field, my love. (laughs) What did you see? Yeah. So, you know, I I knew that I was going to be recording this podcast with you today. So yesterday afternoon, I decided I would just visit, you know, four different sex shops in downtown Las Vegas, which is where I live, just to kind of have that, you know, ethnographic, up close and in-person experience. So, you know, let me just say, like, the adult superstore experience was interesting because Mm -hmm. I have been in Las Vegas since August 2007. And when I first moved to Vegas, I rented a house on Fifth Place. So that adult superstore was really like the Hundred Neighborhood Superstore in terms of location, (laughs) right? It was just there. Friendly neighborhoods. Well, but it was very different in 2007. Um, They've expanded it given it a glow up, I guess, in in the years since then. But back in the day, it really resembled a much more conventional adult store. And what I mean by that was the selection of sex toys wasn't the big draw. The sex toy selection was much more limited. And what they Mm. really had was a lot of print pornography and a lot of video and DVD pornography. And they also had the pay-per-view video booths. Okay. And historically, 
historically, that kind of peep show booth, video booth, you know, since the late 1960s was a kind of mainstay of a conventional adult bookstore or adult store. So today in 2023, the space is like doubled, tripled in size. It's really, really big. And they do not, you know, at least from what I could see, have those booths anymore. And one of the things that I thought was interesting was, you know, the the kind of marketing on the outside of the store really makes a point to kind of underscore the fact that this is a place that's like, for couples and for women, right? So they're doing that marketing. And that's really been a trend for adult businesses, sex toy stores over the past really 15 to 20 years has been, you know, this realization that the marketplace has changed and that the sex toy industry has changed and that women have money, and women like to spend their dollars on <laughs> things that give them pleasure. So yeah. you've seen a lot of businesses that historically catered to men doing a lot more to reach out to women and to couples. I like when I walk in and like, I think we went to the adult superstore, but we've also been into the love store. And so like, the, what are you guys looking for? And then bring bring me four types of lube and tell me what those lubes do. Um, like I, I want, yes, I want it to feel like, I don't know, I'm in Macy's, Nordstrom. I want... I like a suggestion or two. (laughs) Yeah. So I think I'm glad you mentioned the love store because I would have to say out of the four stores that I visited yesterday, that had like the best vibe out of all of them. And, And so... So why, right? Like, what was it about that store that just kind of felt like, you know, the energy was good? You know, well, for one thing, you, you park in their little parking lot and above the door, it's, it has a quote where the fun begins. So they're already like creating a vibe before you mm-hmm. even cross over the threshold into that store. Mm-hmm. It's like really bright. There's like a, a kind of colorful wall. They encourage you to get out your selfie stick and take a selfie next to this colorful wall, right? We want you here. There's yeah. nothing to be ashamed of. There's no stigma here, right? And and so right away, the two women that were working there were like, you know, not just, hi, how are you? But like, smiley and friendly. And, and there's a certain kind of logic to most adult stores they ease you into the product mix right so in mm-hmm. this case you're gonna see dancewear you're gonna see lingerie then you mm-hmm. make your way to some kind of novelties and sexy games and then by the time you're halfway in the store you start to see the the kind of you know vibrators six and, aisles of dildos yeah so, <laughs> six so aisles, whatever you and want also i just noticed you know in my just kind of years of writing about sex shops and writing about sexual culture and economies, you know, I know a lot about different kind of um, sex toy manufacturers and they had not just a good range of products, but they had products from companies that have good reputations, like good Mm -hmm. reputations in terms of just making quality products, products that are made with kind of body conscious materials, for example. So they they had a really, I thought, kind of, if we, you know, might use the language of top shelf, like top shelf, um, well curated products 
um, that that were just like a really good mix um, of things that I would expect to see in a, a you know feminist sex shop in San Francisco or New York, like the Good Vibrations of the World or the Bayland or you know these these other kind of businesses that have historically put a lot of time and energy into testing their products, making sure that you know they they are offering you know the the best of what's out there. Yeah. I was impressed with the love store. I was impressed with the vibe. I thought they were, you know, really um, bringing their A game to um, the experience, right? They were yes. clearly cultivating an experience and that can be challenging to do. And it's not something that every sex shop tries to do. Hey, it's David Figler, and one of my favorite food festivals is coming back to town. It's Vegas Unstripped over at the Palms Hotel on Saturday, May 18th. Over two dozen chefs from some of Las Vegas's most talked about restaurants creating original, unique menu items they've never made before. Chef creativity at its best. We're talking chefs from Partage, Esther's Kitchen, Milpa, EDO, and more, including this year's James Beard Award finalist Steve Kessler from Aroma. Tickets are $150 and are all-inclusive of food and drink, so you don't have to pay for anything once you're inside. No hidden up charges. I went last year, and it was so crowded in the best possible way. We got one remarkable dish after another, and while it was a little indulgent, here's the best part. The net proceeds go to local charities. So head on over to VegasUnstripped.com to get your tickets now. We'll see you there. And I know, Lynn, you wrote a whole book about feminist sex shops, which is called Vibrator Nation, which you're such a gangster. I love that. Uh, how do you explain to someone what a feminist sex shop is? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, the history of feminist sex shops, I mean, they were really born out of the women's liberation movement in the early mm. 1970s. And that was a moment where kind of women were talking about all kinds of things, including their sex lives, including orgasms or the lack thereof. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of emphasis on women taking control of their own pleasure, taking control of their own orgasms. And, you know, women started to write about the politics of vibrators and how important it was for women to kind of grab a hold of this tool of liberation. And women, <laughs> women were like, great, I love this idea. I would love to get my hand on a vibrator. Where do I go? Where do I go to get these? Mm -hmm. And I think that the early kind of feminist sex toy entrepreneurs looked around and saw this void. Like there just wasn't a, a business that, that really catered specifically to, to women, to their sexual needs, that really was overlaid with accurate sexual information and education. And one of the things that they did was really look at what existed at the time, which was the very stereotypical male-oriented or adult bookstore, and said, yeah, we, we don't want to be a kind of quote-unquote seedy, dingy store in, you know, a kind of maybe not safe place in town. We want to open businesses that feel like a boutique, that, you know, really lead with sex toys, that maybe downplay porn or don't offer it at all, that really are about the experience, and that have knowledgeable 
sales staff who are comfortable talking about sex and um, answering questions, whatever those questions may be, whether they were about products or whether they they were about the G-spot. And so, you know, Good Vibrations, which opened its doors in San Francisco in 1977, was actually founded by a sex educator and a sex therapist. Hmm. So that tells you a little bit about the background, right? It's like, wow, it I want it to be simple. You know, it's like you know, everybody should get off. <laughs> like that should be everybody has the right to and the enjoyment of it. But when it comes to us, it's, it's here's the science and here's the movement combined that creates what we have. It really is simple. I mean, it should be simple and it is be simple. And the simple thing is these early feminist retailers said pleasure is a birthright. And we want to create spaces where everybody feels like they can have access to, you know, products that will help them step into their full sexual selves. You know, it really is simple at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. The more that we can empower women around their sexuality, the better their lives are, the better women's lives are, the better their relationships are, the better the world is. That was kind of some of the basic principle. Yeah, Well, the understanding of your own body and the like, you don't need permission to explore your own body, but education would be lovely. And being in that's why when you were talking about the vibe of of that particular sex shop, it's like, yeah, this is what this does. Here's some pictures of how people use it. Uh, You know, here's here are the areas that it functions on. I think I think the first time I went into a sex shop, it was like the era of the rabbit just coming out. Yeah. And so it was like. That was the craze at the time. And I was like, this is very interesting. I think that's too much stimulation for me. But word, (laughs) you know, it it was it was cool to go and and to experience it and be in that space. So when you say like pleasures of birthright, I'm like, yeah, we need to put that on a wall somewhere. I'm curious, does Vegas have a feminist sex shop? We did for a few years. There actually was... um, a sex shop called Toy Box and, you know, B-O-X-X that um, was operating for a few years in a kind of small shopping center on industrial. You know, I don't know the full story about what happened, but I think it's hard to run a small business anywhere. Yes. And I think there are historically a lot of challenges in opening up a sexually oriented business, right? And some of those challenges, I think, you know, this proprietor had to navigate when she was trying to find a retail space for her feminist sex shop. So some of those challenges are zoning ordinances. You know, not all commercial spaces are zoned for adult businesses, which is why you see so many on industrial, right? Because those are zoned for adult businesses. So if you want to be a sex shop that's out and loud and proud, you're not going to be zoned for the container park, right? It's it's just the city's (laughs) city's not going to let you open there. And not all landlords want to rent to an adult business. So finding a commercial space can be challenging. And then there's other challenges like getting business insurance, um, even raising the capital. You're not going to mm-hmm. walk into your local friendly bank and have an easy time getting a business loan for an adult business. You know, those things are, are kind of kryptonite for banks, any kind of vice related business. So, you know, all of this 
affects all of these politics, the politics around sex, the politics around sexual entertainment and sex work. I mean, they're alive and well. They just take different forms at different points in time. I mean, that's what history shows us. I find that so interesting, though, especially in in Vegas that literally sells us all of our vices. So, you know, whatever you want, it's like we have and that includes this particular industry. You raise a really interesting point because Vegas has certainly cultivated quite intentionally a reputation as an adult playground, right? That is how Vegas sells itself to tourists from all over the world. But I I felt for a long time as someone who studies, you know, adult entertainment in the adult industry, that when you really peel back the layers, the 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 type of like sexual fun and sexual entertainment, it it's a lot more contained here than you might imagine. Um, you know, why is it that we don't have a really vibrant, you know, feminist sex toy store or a kind of queer oriented sex toy store? And I think the the kind of commercialized, you know, adult fun that that Vegas sells is really kind of carefully curated for, you know, those tourists from the American Midwest, primarily Mm. straight men, who want to come to Vegas and have fun, but want to not be so scandalized that they can't go home and share their fun (laughs) with their friends. So I think Vegas has to walk, you know, a, a fine line between embracing that reputation as an adult playground, but not being so anything goes that they scare people off. Right. Does Vegas have any sex shops that you would recommend? You know, we talked a little bit about the love store. I would say that store really um, stands out to me as a place that I think folks would have a good experience if they're interested in visiting a sex shop for the first time, or maybe they haven't visited one for a number of years, but they're (laughs) kind of curious after listening to this podcast. And what would you say is the role a sex shop plays in a city, especially a city like Vegas? Oh, wow. That is a really good question. I mean, one of the things that I found in my research and I really believe is is like sex shops are like a malleable cultural form. Like they can be made huh. into different things, right? And what I mean by that, they can be like you know, a a site of consumption where you go in, you get your product and you leave. But I think sex toy stores do have the potential to be um, a space for adult sex education that you Mm. can really, if you have the right staff, if they're well-trained, if they're knowledgeable, that sex stores can actually be places where adults can go and maybe get an answer to a question that they've always had, that they never felt comfortable asking or kind of get some information um, about something that just was not a topic that was discussed in whatever education, sex education they may have had in middle school or high school. Mm -hmm. Like a place of like exploration, right? Or, I mean, one thing that I didn't see a lot of yesterday, but I've I've seen in a lot of other sex toy stores and feminist stores really prided themselves on this, you know, certainly in the 70s, 80s and 90s, was being kind of um, a site 
where people could get resources. So they could get books about mm. sex, right? Mm-hmm. And and I'm seeing less and less of that. And maybe it's just a symptom of those items don't move as well in, in certain cities. But, you know, once upon a time, one of the best parts of stores that I would go into was, you know, this really well curated um, selection of, you know, sex guides and books and books about sexual history. And so again, that plays into like the sex information, sex education piece. You know, to answer your question, what what can sex shops offer a community? I mean, they they can help bring kind of sexual pleasure out of the, the closet. They can provide products to people who maybe, you know, want to add something to their lives, whether that's, Mm -hmm. you know, their solo sex lives or their relationships. There's a history of businesses really seeing their sites as, or seeing their stores as, you know, sites of adult sexuality education, as, as a place where people can step into their sexual power, or, or even like, you know, gender non-conforming people, queer identified people who maybe like have wondered what might it be like to buy a packer or, you know, purchase a strap on? Like they can kind of step into a certain way of seeing themselves that maybe they had only read about before. Um, so there's a lot of ways that sex stores can be just affirming to especially marginalized folks, you know? I love the idea of the sex shop as uh, a sexual community builder and like allowing people the space to have like interesting conversations so i don't know now i'm like all right vegas here's somebody do it somebody open up the sex shop that also has workshops in it because we have a lot of great like sex educators and gender and sexuality studies folks at unlv so i mean this is a thing this could be a doable thing (laughs) i think so yeah Lynn Camella, thank you so much for being on CityCast Las Vegas. I really enjoyed this conversation with you. I did too, Vogue. Thank you so much for having me. Before you go, a few things you should know. Starting July 7th, charter schools across Nevada can apply for bus money from a new $7 million fund that was approved this legislative session. Advocates say that this new funding makes charter schools more accessible to lower income students. Also, a new study concludes (laughs) that Reno is the nation's number one wildest city, with Las Vegas showing up as number four. Reno, are you ratchet? The study analyzed the rates of excessive drinking, marijuana and cocaine prevalence, the number of casinos and the number of strip clubs. (laughs) I am so amused, you guys. We know those lists rarely ever get either of our cities right. That's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. If you enjoyed the show and you want to support us, here's what you can do. Pick your favorite episode and share it with three friends who haven't heard the show. That's all you got to do. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Take care.